So um, this was an interesting chapter uh, for those of us. I think, Tori, you may be the only one with young children at home. So I don't know if you had a chance to read this chapter or not. But uh, these are certainly some things. There are certainly some things in here that as we had young children at home growing up, uh, things that uh, we may have done or should have done or could have done <laughs> in here. So, well, we might have uh, read them. We, we probably have done them, huh? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we have done some of the good things in here. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so uh, she starts off in the first paragraph talking about how parents normally or sometimes will take care of their children's earthly needs, uh, their temporal wants, and, and then they'll take care of them if they're sick or whatever. Um, but then she says, um, they think that their duty is done. So they just, you know, make sure they, they taking care of if they're sick, make sure they have food to eat. And they think, okay, I'm good. I've done what I need to do. But she said that that's a mistake and that their work has just begun or the work of a parent has just begun. And that, uh, she says the wants of the mind should also be cared for. And uh, it requires skill to apply the proper remedies to cure a wounded mind. You all remember that um, that little saying, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. What was wrong with that statement? It was a lie. <laughs> How was it a lie, Lee? <laughs> Words are some of the most hurtful things we have at our disposal. Absolutely. And they say that wound, physical wounds heal, but words stay with you for a long, long time. Yeah, because it gets mm -hmm. right in your brain and your mind is constantly thinking about it. And that's how, you know, some people at a young age knew that. So that's why they would say, talk about you and say something that they knew would keep bothering you. Like if you know you have, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you have big ears or something and all they got to do is say, something about your ears and you keep on thinking about that <laughs> fly <laughs> Dumbo fly <laughs> yeah and you keep saying that to yourself so yeah words are very hurtful right right and she and she brings out the point that children have as many trials uh, and are that are just as hard to bear as adults you know it's funny we don't really think about children having trials to bear we don't really think about it that way you know, and we think, you know, uh, oh, they got it easy because, you know, they don't have to pay any bills. They don't have to go out and work. They don't have to do those, any of those things. And so we often think our children have it easy. But she's saying here that they don't and they have trials to bear just as adults have trials to bear. And she says that uh, and, and, it, and it's grievous to their characters, just like it is adults, you know. One thing um, that I got out of, it, out of that statement where it said the wants of the mind should be cared for, that mental health is very important. Many, mm -hmm. especially in the black community, just overlook mental health because we don't want nobody to think we're crazy. It doesn't mean that you're crazy. All of us at time need some uh, advice or some counseling. In fact, uh, one of the names for Jesus is counselor. Mm. Counseling very is important. Point. He says there's great wisdom in a multitude of counsel. At times, we do need to just talk to somebody, get some things out of our mind and on on paper or out of our off of our chest, or so to speak, and just kind of have somebody maybe help us to see how we could do things differently, where we made a mistake, how we can improve. So mental health is very important, but 
African-Americans, we just want to overlook it. And I think that's part of the reason why we're still struggling today to get ahead in life. Right, right. And then she talks about in this same paragraph how parents labor under mistaken views and feelings and then Satan just continually is pounding at them. And sometimes they yield to his temptations and, and parents get irritable and they speak irritably and in a manner to excite the, the anger of their children. And she says, and they are sometimes exacting and fretful. And then she says, the children partake of the same spirit. You know, that's something that I often thought about is that, you know, children are even less prepared to meet the temptations of the enemy because a lot of times parents haven't prepared them. You ever hear parents say, I don't know where they got that from. And the child <laughs> is just imitating the parent, you know, and the parent either doesn't realize it or they're in denial about it or something. And they said, well, you didn't get that from my side of the family, when really that's exactly where it came from. It came directly from them. Yeah. And, and right. And so she's talking about the fact that uh, she says sometimes everything seems to go wrong, but the parents don't even realize that they are the cause of the trouble and why their <laughs> children are acting the way that they're acting. Don't and, you, uh, have you ever seen a person uh, at the store and their kid does something that all kids do? want some candy right mm -hmm. <laughs> check out line they got all that candy there so the kid's gonna be mama can I have some candy and then the person cusses them out mm -hmm. using mm -hmm. i mean real curse words and mm -hmm. you're thinking man this kid is getting it well how do you think he's going to treat his kids right grows up right. the same way his parents treated him unless right. somebody or something comes in intervenes yeah. him to a better mm -hmm. way you know? absolutely and uh, she says that, you know, oftentimes when parents are in that kind of a mood where they are just lashing out at their children, that it's just, it's just everybody's miserable and unhappy all the time. Mm. Also when then, kids doing the, even the parent, they are unhappy. Uh, you say, also then? when kids show out at school, they come to the school and act a fool, you know, want to curse out the teachers. Yeah. So they dare correct the student. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. And they expect a lot of times they expect the school to do what they should be doing at home, mm -hmm. you know, or they're in denial about their children and their behavior at school. They're not and in denial. They, they know Johnny ain't no angel. <laughs> Which is why we talk about know because yeah. I don't know, because sometimes have you seen where teachers want to fight? They're having this uh, on Facebook right now. Teachers want to fight their... um the t uh, I'm sorry, parents want to fight the teacher because of something that the teacher uh, punishment or something they impose on the child on their child or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, I think That's that my parents. Um, I think that COVID is helping our parents to see their children as they are, especially if they have to keep their children at home and teach them. So now they know exactly what the teacher is going through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had a friend of mine when I was growing up and his Mother, she uh, was constantly cussing at him, constantly. I mean, if he did anything, he just walk in the house. She threatened to beat him and stomp mm. him and break his neck and wow. be with him. I start laughing. I say, man, I'm going to go home <laughs> before she get us mixed up or something. <laughs> but he grew up to be a hurt, hurt, you know, very hurt emotionally. And he would always try and hurt other people because... Yeah. They say hurt people, hurt people. Right, right. That type of person. Mm. 
I think mostly what she's saying too is that um, sometimes it's not, let's say, it's not what we do, but how we're doing it that's really important. You know, I like to think about, and she's going to talk about this too later on, about um, presenting Christ to children. You know, with a bad, if, if we're having a bad attitude or if everything is just bad, mean, mean, mean then the kid's not gonna love Christ. Children see you in the, in the place of God. So if you're rough and mean and and just mean, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Christ, and they're not gonna wanna come to church. So that means it doesn't matter what program the church has, it has to start at home. This whole thing must begin at home. Right, and, and, and leading into what you were just saying, going right into the next paragraph, she talks about parents who, when they want their children to do something instead of asking them in a loving manner that they scold them in a, in a, in a, 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 a or, or like you said, Lee, just start fussing at them. And then, then, then at the same time, they censor everything that they do, you know, and talk about everything that they do. And she said that, that by doing that, the children may end up doing what you ask, but it's not out of love. And it's not, you know, their heart is not in it. And so it becomes a drudgery instead of a pleasure to obey their parents because they're not going to get any praise anyway. They're just going to get reproof from their parents. You know, that, that, that's a really sad, that, that is a really sad upbringing to me. You know, that there's, there's nothing that you can do right in your parents' sight. And uh, one of the paragraphs just before said the parents blame the children but the real problem is the parents themselves. Mm -hmm. Even worse, when the parents are cussing and fussing, you know, fussing and cussing the kids out, and the parents are Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, that's so funny. Thing. That's so funny because uh, uh, Carla uh, said at one point that the child, she had a child at school that, that, that cussed. And so she said... Uh, she called a parent and, and the parent asked the child, where'd you hear that from? He said, I heard you on the phone saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, and I guess they didn't know that the child had overheard them. You know? They hear, they hear everything. In fact, hear, yep. a, uh, one time at church, one of the kids was praying and they actually prayed and helped mommy and daddy to stop cussing. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, talk about being busted. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, absolutely. And the thing about it is, the Bible says, except you become as the little children, you know, you will not see the kingdom. And so, you know, little children are, uh, well, if you, if you have not um, harmed them mentally to the extent that they are no longer that away, but they are so honest and just so, you know, um, forthright. You know, when if they see it, they call it as they see it, you know. Um, and then she says um, at the bottom of this second paragraph, she says that when parents are continually finding fault with their children and they're continually scolding them and, and just not presenting a good, happy, pleasant, um, demeanor to their children that the children end up looking for that where? In the streets. In the street, right. Absolutely, in the street. And so she says they mingle with street company and they soon are co as corrupt as the worst of them. 
It don't take long, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think Absolutely. we've all heard or we've all heard or experienced that when it's a child who's in church and they get out into the streets, they tend to do more to prove that they wanted a gang, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. people even know, oh, you must be a Christian because you're trying too hard. <laughs> to, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And I think sometimes about children who they're looking for acceptance because they didn't find it at home. So they end up in these gangs and things. And they and, and I've heard it, some of them say, you know, well, it's the first time I felt like I was in a family. Now yeah. they're doing wrong things in that family, but you know, they feel accepted in that family. That's true. And it carries on if they end up in prison too. They join a prison gang. Just mm. the family are accepted. And a lot of kids like sports for that reason because they're part of a team that's doing something positive. And it is sad that as family, as families, we don't recognize that our kids need that support and encouragement and teamwork attitude. So, you know, they end up so that they won't go out into the streets looking for it. Mm-hmm. And then she says down in the next paragraph, she's talking about how if the parents had made home a loving and attractive place and had shown affection to their children, and kindness for them, then the children would have gladly um, readily obeyed their parents. But she said by control, and if the parents by controlling themselves and speaking kindly and praising the children, when they try to do right, parents may encourage their efforts, make them very happy and throw over the family circle, a charm which will chase away every dark shadow and bring cheerful sunlight in. You know, I think about the fact that, you know, parents are not always going to be in the right mood, you know, going to be sick or you're going to be hangry or you're going to be a lot of other things, you know, you're not always going to be in the best of moods, you know, but I think that if your trend is to be kind to your children and to treat them with love and affection, that even even though you may have some bad days where you do end up you're irritable and upset and you want to scold your children or you're not feeling well or whatever, I think your children will remember more of the good days than the bad. You know, because children is so funny. Children are so resilient and they will love a parent who is bad to them, but they'll love a parent even more who's good to them. One of the things, too, if you know kids, they just want to have fun and laugh and play. But if your parents are constantly berating you and beating you down, you know, your kids kids can lose that happy spirit that they have. And that's always sad to see a child who is sad and just not very happy because you probably know it's not their fault. It's mm-hmm. going on at home. Right. And then down in the next paragraph below that one, she starts off. She says, parents, when you feel fretful, you should not commit so great a sin as to poison the whole family with this dangerous irritability. Mm. And she said, at such times, set a double watch over yourselves. Set a double watch over yourselves and resolve in your heart not to offend with your lips that you will utter only pleasant, cheerful words. Say to yourselves, I will not mar the happiness of my children by a fretful word. And by thus controlling yourselves, you will grow stronger. Your nervous system will not be so sensitive. You will be strengthened by the principles of what is right. So she's really talking about right there, parents exercise some Mm self-control, you know, because 
if you're not exercising self-control, it's not likely that you're teaching your children how to exercise it. And children will do what you do, not what you say. And so they'll be looking at what you're doing. And if you don't have self-control, they're not going to exercise self-control because they, they haven't, they, they have not experienced it. So therefore they don't even know what it is. I'll put it like that. And it's kind of sad that as parents, we're, we sometimes lack self-control, but we expect our kids to have it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we expect more out of them than we do out of ourselves. Right, right. I always think that sometimes people think that kids are small adults, but they're not. They're kids. They don't mm-hmm. adults. They don't have the experience, but we expect them to be adults even at a young age. We mm-hmm. Much sometimes. Right. And she she says that when, you know, parents are irritable and impatient with their children, she said the children know this and they mark and feel these irregularities and they are not always the same. At times, they are somewhat prepared to meet changeable moods. And at other times, they are nervous and fretful and cannot bear censor. And their spirit rises up in rebellion against it. Parents want all due allowance made for their state of mind yet do not always see the necessity of making the same allowance for their poor children. Mm. And so basically she's saying here, you know what, these children have, back to the first paragraph, children go through some of the same things that adults go through. And actually I tend to think sometimes that the enemy attacks children even worse because they're in a weaker spiritual state of mind sometimes, you know? And um, I think that parents need to be, you know, aware of that, that they, they are the ones that need to be praying God's um, protection and strength for their children, because their children are not going to think to pray it for themselves, you know, in the manner that their parents can pray it for them and over them. And um, so they leave their children vulnerable. I'll put it like that. They leave their children vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And if they lack self-control, if the parents themselves lack self-control also, then their children are even more vulnerable by reason of age and lack of um, lack of self-control. Uh, let's see. And then at the bottom of that paragraph, she says, children in their troubles should often be soothed with tender sympathy, mutual kindness and forbearance will make home a paradise and attract holy angels into the family circle. You ever heard is saying about, uh, or well, in, in Ellen White's writings, talking about making your home a place where angels love to dwell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that, you know, that should definitely be for, especially for parents with young children, that should definitely be your goal is to make your home a place where angels love to dwell. And they're not hearing scolding and irritability and anger. and Kids aren't getting knocked around and, harmed you know yeah and she also i think in that same area says that uh there's a lot of things going on in especially uh christian homes that cause the angels to veil their faces mm-hmm. i was watching a program the other day and this young girl was growing up and her parents got divorced when she was young about 11 and um dad ended up I think it was over another woman, but dad ended up with another woman 
And so mom would stop that and this woman all the time. And then mom eventually went on with her own life and got remarried, but she ended up killing her husband and she made her daughter help her bury him. And then she ended up getting married a second time. Now the daughter was gone and out of the house by the time she got with this other man. And she and and what's interesting is that they said that he was the nicest man. She said the first one she kills real mean. That this next one he was real kind and nice to everybody. He treated her like a queen, and she killed him. <laughs> but then she ended up blaming the murder on her daughter. So the authorities came and arrested her daughter for murdering the second husband, and she didn't have anything to do with it. She wasn't even anywhere around. And you just have to wonder what in the world would be going on in a parent's mind that they would want to do that to their child. And this lady was older now and she still, it just hurt her to think about the fact that her mother would place her in that position and in, in that situation, you know? Mm -hmm. it, was, it was just a really sad, it was just a really sad, um, testimony to bad parenting you know there's a lot of that going on mm -hmm. so did she have to go to prison for that she she was faced with the dilemma of either ratting out her mother and telling the truth or going <laughs> to prison and she decided you know she was really hurt that her mother would do that to her but she decided to you know just tell what had happened and that she was nowhere around and she didn't have anything to do with it, you know? Uh -huh. And her mother had actually told her what she had done. So she told him what her mother told her. But that was hard for her because like I said, children, children love their parents. No matter how bad things get, children love their parents, you know? For the most part, and I'm not gonna say every child because some of them are treated <laughs> so badly that, you know, or, or you just have a rebellious child that just doesn't want to do right. And so they hate their parents, you know? What'd you say, uh, Karen? She had to rat her mom out. <laughs> yeah, she did. You know, because she was like, I'm not going to jail for the rest of my life for something that my mother did. And she was, I think she was like 28 at that point in time, facing life imprisonment for something she didn't do. And she was like, no, I can't, I, I'm not going to do that. Mm. You know? But, um... Hey, Karen. I'm yeah. Go, uh, back up a little bit. Okay. Really, it's quite a form. It's back up at 384. And it says here about parents, uh, this cross pursue toward your children destroys their cheerfulness. And I noticed the word and ambition. And when we look mm -hmm. at it, sometimes we're asking them, why are you not doing better? Why you don't want to do more? And again, here the fault lies with us. We're not giving them what, it, what they can have, what they need to be um, courageous enough or brave confident enough to go out and try to do that. So it's really, mm -hmm. and um, we, here, but really the real, a big reason about this stuff is because in all of the, you know, people that I talk to, everybody that I see, the stuff goes back to a pattern in their uh, childhood, something the parents did. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that parents don't aren't recognizing this, but you know, it's there and the kids the kids grow up, that stuff doesn't go away, it just manifests itself in their behavior. 
And you know, you have to wonder how many, how many hurt children are walking around as adults doing, doing things that they would not have done had they had a loving family upbringing, you know? Yeah, and I think that's kind of why, um, for me, I know that um, hereditary, heredity plays a part in it, but I think heredity, when people talk about its hereditary tendency, then they, it's kind of like saying it's all of anybody's control, it's nobody's fault, you know, so there's no reason to search out the reason for this and, and try to fix it because it's hereditary and you can't, mm. you're born this way and that's mm. what it's going to be. Oh, okay. Okay. Or, or you hear him say sometimes, you got that from your daddy's side of the family, you know, and, it, and it's just left there. Like it's a bad trait. Mm-hmm. Not going to try to do nothing to fix it, but I'm not going to own it either, <laughs> you know? But you know, and even that Karen in that statement, you got that from your mom or you got that from your daddy and it's negative. Um, right. Then you're telling the child how to be, so let's say that the father is, you know, having struggling with alcoholism, et cetera, et cetera. And you're saying to the child, he's you're just like your dad. You're giving that child what I call a life script. You're telling them what they're going to be in their future. Mm. Every time and say, and it's interesting how we say those things more than you're really going to do a great job when you get older. You know, mm-hmm. you're and that seed is going to grow. Right. Right. Do you remember that phrase from that movie? Um, mm, I can't think of the name of the movie right now. And she was she, she was keeping the little white girl and taking care of the little white girl. And she told her, you are kind. You are important. I forgot the whole thing, the whole little phrase that she told her. But she would tell her that over and over again, you know. And so it was interesting that you know, you can, you can direct children, like you said, a life script by the words that you say to them and how you treat them. And you can, you say, when you yank on a kid or when you push a child or when you sap a child, you tell them you're worthless. You're nothing. You're unimportant. You know, um, I won't Mm -hmm. say if you kneel on your knees, as sister White says, kneel on your knees and then spank their butts, you know, Without, I'm not talking about beating people to death, you, but uh, that's a whole different issue from howling off, knocking a kid across the room, talk, or or saying you worthless little a hole, you know, or whatever. Mm. Those those things, believe it or not, when when the Bible says in chapter one of Genesis, um, let us make man after our own image, and God has creative powers with His words. We have creative powers with our words. We can't make something from nothing, but we can make something from the stuff that we have. The people around us, we can make something of those people. If we're negative and constantly, like she's saying, all this stuff just beating kids down. And even our spouses and um, people at church, the way we deal with each other is just kind of can be um, unchristlike and unloving. And that's going to affect, you know, what's going on in the church and how we respond to to ourselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Back to the subject. Right. So, when you think about it, there's a lot to raising children, isn't there? 
beyond simply making sure that they have food and water and you know mm-hmm. roof over their heads. There's a whole lot that goes into raising children. And you think about sometimes some people don't need to have children because they don't treat them right. I remember watching a program, this has been a few years back now, and it was about parents who had murdered their own children. And uh, one of the stories was about uh, a little girl, this, this little boy, he would see this little girl. She was in his class for a little while, I think, but then she was no longer in his class. And he would see her sitting up in the window because they lived, I guess, on the second story. She, he would see her sitting up in the window crying and then one day the little girl just disappeared. She wasn't there anymore. She wasn't crying anymore, nothing. And years later, they found out that the mother had murdered the child and she was abusing the child, first of all, and she had murdered the child and she had buried the child in the flower bed. And when they dug the child up and they, and they um, looked at the bones, there were great scratch marks in her ribs because the mother had had she had so bad to, you know she had just just that's how she had killed the child she had basically squeezed life out of her but she had not only squeezed her she had scratched her so deep that it scratched into her bones that's crazy i was like mercy that's crazy mercy during that gruesome story <laughs> So I'm just saying that, you know, there is a lot that, you know, parents can be the ones that help their children into the kingdom, or they can be the ones that help their children, you know, miss out on the kingdom. I'll put it like that. And uh, the lessons taught at home are the ones that are the most important, I think. Um lessons uh karen are those unspoken lessons the ones she's talking about a couple of things here and the most one the most important lesson is she's saying the way we talk to our kids that because we may even though we might say we can say go get the broom can you go get the broom and sweep the floor or we can say get the broom sweep the floor and implied in the way we say it you know if we say get a broom sweep the floor is implied you stupid you dummy those are the unspoken lessons. Those are the unspoken things that's going to travel with this child into adulthood. You don't have to say the words. You don't have to say that. You, it's just the way we talk to each other. That's as to each other, you're worthless, you're nothing, and you're not going to be anything. That's really important. You know, this is really a very important chapter. Mm-hmm. You're not, when she's talking about raising a child, but she's also talking about shaping his future. And I think she does talk about his eternal well, mm-hmm. you know, that's his future. And the future mm-hmm. on earth is more than jacked up. But I also want to point out this, you know, and I'm gonna let somebody else talk in a few minutes, but I also want to say, what does this mean for us who went through slavery? I was thinking about this this morning when I woke up about um well actually yesterday about how the slave may have saw the saw the masters in a um, parental type of role because they were over them. And so they were adults. These people like they're like in a parental role over them and treated them worthless. And um, they didn't know any other way except that rough, mean, harsh way. 
So what does that mean? Sometimes we laugh and we joke about what the parents, you know, black parents say, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out of this world. Or, you know, uh, she gets, she have you go out there and get the switch of your choice and, you know, extension cords. And so we, we laugh at those things, but really what are we saying to each other? What are we saying to our kids with the way we're treating them? It's the way you do it. Mm-hmm. And say to kids out there, you're gonna go to church. If you're seeing this in a nice, kind, loving way, that's fine, but when you start, and you're gonna take your little A to church, you ain't, you know, what's that about? It's like a punishment. Mm-hmm. It's right. on, I think, 387.1 at the bottom, where speaking, you know, what Lakita's saying, speaking like that to your kids causes them to feel that the house is a tomb and the mother's room the most dismal place in the world. That's mm-hmm. a thing for you to come home to a tomb or the most dismal place in the world. After a while, you just can't wait till you leave home because you mm-hmm. see the place, you don't like the parents, you don't like anybody else in the house and you just want to get away. And like we'd said earlier, you end up on the streets, you end up with the wrong company, you end up becoming the wrong company. All because of those words, which you asked the question, uh, gave the little rhyme, sticks and stones. Yeah, they do hurt in many ways. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, have, I have a question. Okay, go ahead. I have a question. I said, I, my family was just the opposite. I said, because we found that, now, now my mom would be the disciplinary person if we really needed a whooping, but my dad was always soft-spoken, and then he... You know, he if you did something wrong, he made you learn a Bible verse or something. And we just was to the point, <clears throat> as kids, we was like, I'd rather get a whooping than have Dad talk to us because he was quiet and he never speeded up when he talked. We wanted the whooping, and we would be crying. And all he doing was talking to us. Mm. And I think mm. that that's I think that that's true. You can. If you're uh, Sister White and um, Child God, and she says, wrap the, the, um, the children's tendrils of love around your heart or something along that line. If we spoke to our children and dealt with them with love, then yes, you know, when you speak to them and say, you know, what, I was just really disappointed and you're just talking to them in a kind, soft way, children feel that. And we, we want remorse. I always try to teach parent, parents, you want remorse. You don't want anger. You don't want resistance. You don't want frustration. You want the child to feel remorseful. Like, I don't want to do that again, you know? So, and not scared. I don't want to do it because I'm scared of her. So if I get a chance to, and I think she won't catch me, I'm going to do it again. But, you know, I just don't want to, you know, make people, make my mom feel sad about or disappointed in or you know, anything like that, because I was disobedient, intentionally disobedient. Mm, Right. And I think that if your parents treated you well and showed their love, you would really feel like that. You know, I don't want to disappoint my parents. I don't want to hurt them. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think love makes all the difference. Love, patience and kindness Uh makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. You know, Andre always tells this story about how he didn't know until he was grown that his father never whipped them and that they were more scared of him than they were of his mother who <laughs> did whip them, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, because he just, he just always would talk. He wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't threaten them. He wouldn't beat them or anything like that, but they were more scared of him and, you know, didn't want to, you know, 
uh, 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 come up against him than their mother. Mm-hmm. And that that was uh, just the you know the way that that he did things, you know. Um, and then let's see. Um, she talks about uh, in the next paragraph after that, three sixty seven two. She talks about how um, we shouldn't let our children see us fretful and with a clouded brow. And she said, if they yield to temptation and afterwards see and repent of their error, forgive them just as freely as you would hope to be forgiven by your father in heaven. So it's basically don't hold on to stuff and tell your, ch- your children, uh, uh, well, you know what? Uh, at time and time again, well, you didn't do such and such and such. Or you did such and such and such and such. So you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get to go blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's fine. Let that be their punishment for them. Well, don't keep continually holding that over their head every time they want to do something. Let it go, you know, and uh, forgive them about it. And um, she says, kindly instruct them and bind them to your hearts. It is a critical time for children. Influences will be thrown around them to wean them from you, which you must counteract. Teach them to make you their confidant. Let them whisper in your ear their trials and joys. By encouraging this, you will save them from many a snare that Satan has prepared for their inexperienced feet. Which goes back to, if you're not, if you're not someone that their cho- your children can come and talk to and tell their trials and tribulations to, they're going to go find somebody else to do it. And that somebody else may not give them the proper advice about it, may not show them the right way, you know, and will show them wrong things and the wrong way to deal with it. So basically make sure that you're the one that is counseling your children and not the street. (laughs) It's sad to think that there are so many kids on the street because of their parents' poor influence or poor upbringing and training, especially when you think about how there's people out there just waiting to see a lonely young girl or a long mm-hmm. boy out there and right. you know they're offering them food and shelter and and then next thing they're out on the street you know mm-hmm. the devil's always waiting for opportunity to ruin somebody's life right and in fact it says in this next paragraph out. satan and his host are making most powerful efforts to sway the minds of the children mm-hmm. and they must be treated with candor meaning truthfulness <laughs> you know and christian tenderness and love and this will give you a strong influence over them and they will feel that they can repose unlimited confidence in you. Throw around your children the charm of home and your society, meaning throw around your children the fact that your home is a, a sanctuary for your children. And you, in fact, they can come to you about anything and be, and be able to trust what you tell them about it. And you're not saying one thing and doing something else, basically. You know, because children these days, they'll call you out in a minute. (laughs) I think we also have to make home enjoyable. You know, do some fun stuff. Don't always be uh, telling the kids to clean up and fix their room and wash the dishes. But have a little movie night, eat some popcorn and Uh park together, go to entertainment, different things together, read together, play games together. Just have fun. Same thing with church. Uh, church shouldn't just be so stuffy and boring that 
you know, people can't wait to get out of it. It should be enjoyable. Who says we can't enjoy church while we hear a word from the Lord? And if right, I was I, I was talking to one teenager. of our members' little daughters today, and she said that um, she's you know the kids are being homeschooled right now, and she said um, I was supposed to finish this book this week. She said, and I didn't get quite done with it. She said, but she said my mother showed me mercy, and she said I could finish it up by tomorrow. <laughs> mm. And I thought that was so cute. She said I only have nine more pages to go. She said, but. I was deciding the last time I was reading it, if I wanted to keep reading or I wanted to go to sleep. And I decided I needed to go to sleep. <laughs> mm. And I was glad Erda Curl brought up about activities at church because I knew Northside at one time they had a basketball game and I hate basketball. And mm. Kenda reminded me, she said, now come and see me. And, and I had already decided I wasn't coming. And when she gave me, when she gave me a call, because I was at home. She said, now, don't forget the game started such and such. So I finally got up and went over there. But I said I cheered and everything, but I hate basketball. But, I mean, <laughs> to me, it was something that was so important to her that I see her. And so I was like, I'm going even though I hate it. <laughs> you hate basketball, but you love your daughter. Uh -huh. Is with us. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? That's what, that's what having a... a, a loving family life looks like. You will sacrifice your time and the things that you like doing for you know, your children or your spouse or whatever, somebody in the family, that, that's something that's really important to them. Because the thing about it is they, they, will, they will remember that you basically bought into them, but they'll also remember if you didn't buy into them and you never showed up and you never you know, supported them and never, you know, did any of those things. Seems so I like think it, church is always looking for uh, ways to keep the youth in the church. Why are the young people leaving church? What's causing the young people to leave the church? And it's part, part of what we're reading, the way we treat them, uh, the way mm -hmm. we brought them up, the things that we do with them or the things that mm -hmm. we do with them. And they're just looking for a more, uh, more likable atmosphere, I guess. Right. And, you know, I think about growing up in the church and kids were always told, sit down, shut up, be quiet. And then when they become young adults and you want them to participate and be active, they're like, no, they're going to go out. They go out into the world because the world, Satan never told them that. Satan said, come on, you can say what you want, do what you want. You know, let's all just get along, you know. And they, they hear a different message out there, you know. You can that, that, teach the principles of God to your children in a kind manner. Right. Don't Absolutely. Have to be so disciplinarian like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Were you going to say something, Tori? No, I was just listening. And, uh, okay. And okay. We, and then, and you um, know, I, th I think that was hard for <clears throat> when I talked to my, all my brothers went into the military. And I had one brother, his two daughters, they were like, Daddy is so strict. And I said, you know, when that military influence is inside of you, and then I used to tell him, well, let me take them to church. And, you know, and I knew they needed a break, and they were small. And my other sister be like, we're going to talk to him about being so strict. I said, but we got to remember to respect him as a parent. And he's got that military background to where, you know, he's seen as I'm being a, you know, a, a, a loving parent. 
because I'm telling them this and I'm that. And it was just, like I said, it's hard when you come from a military family that it's just this, this, that, because that's what they're trained to be like. The next paragraph hits on all that, Patsy. 381 mm-hmm. is talking about all those things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You want to go ahead and discuss that paragraph, Lee, for us? Um, it says that parents should not forget their childhood years. You know, a lot of times we see our kids do stuff and then as adults, we want to discipline them and forget that when I was their age, I did the same kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. The apple go, don't fall far from yeah. the tree, isn't that what they say? Yeah, we <laughs> grow up and we learn better, but we forget that, again, those are children. They're not little adults. They have to be taught. They have to trained they had to be loved and cared for so they can learn what's right and what's wrong but we just forget about all that we went through and just go after them you know with the discipline you ever think sometimes that people treat animals better than they treat other people (laughs) no just black people i I think so sometimes (laughs) people do that yeah but you know what karen i think you said um you said it earlier you said um but if we do, people are going to be fretful sometimes, be hangry sometimes. You know, we're going to not be at our best at all times. But if our general desire and our general uh, efforts is to make our children happy in general, then that weighs a lot. You know, I, I kind of remember Tori talking about his kids going to the store and picking up candy or something. And what it just kind of, the way he told it, and it was like, um, say they want this, this, and then, you know, and then they would say, oh yeah, and this like that. And he he equated that to his, our father in heaven, and how this is, and how our father is willing to give us those things. And I thought to myself, yeah, you know, that's really how God is. Sometimes we don't see God in that way because of our earthly parents, have been so hard and harsh, but he would take the kids and get them some candy. I just remember that, Tori. And then I remember Tori talking about, he always talked about his six children. <laughs> I about, uh, one of the boys like popcorn and get it. So it's been my desire. I haven't done it, but it's my desire to go. I wanted to go and get some popcorn and send it to Tori Thomas for the boys, you know, because I think that, you know, that those things, Simple little things like that, taking them to get some candy when he gets paid or getting that popcorn every so many Saturday nights or Friday nights when it, and letting the young son, I don't know which one likes to do it, come and get the, you know, he's in charge of that. He likes it. That's what she's talking about. That, you know, that consistent little thing. Holly told me the other day, she said, hey, she said, mom, she said, um, I just always thought you could do something in nature on the Sabbath. But was that just our family? I thought everybody was doing that because we would definitely take off out of church and go on a nature walk or go to on a hike or, you know, go have a picnic or something like that. And she was surprised because she thought everybody's family was doing it. Those are the things that she's talking about buying your, the child. She doesn't speak in specifics. And I think that's important that we know what's, but what, what does she mean by buying their horse around? Those kids will always remember that you took them to get candy. Now, some mm-hmm. will be like, you know, they eat candy. That's not healthy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I often tell the story how I became an Adventist. When I was little, I used to sit by Mother Thomas at the church. And she didn't have any kids, but her and, you know, her husband was there. And she would always set me because I wouldn't go in the kids' room because I thought the kids was crazy. So I sat in an adult class, and she would whisper down, what do you like? And I said, cornbread. And she brought this little pan of cornbread. She brought my mom a big pan, you know, for the family. But she would always make me my individual cornbread. And I told my daddy, I said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a seven-day Adventist. Mm. That's nice. And it was just just that to know that she made me feel so special and made me my own little uh, thing of cornbread. And to this day, I love cornbread. Mm. And you know what, Pastor? You came from a family of, I think, 14. Um, and that's really... 24 of us. It was 24? Yeah, and I'm the baby. Right. And, and you know what? It's really important, especially for those middle kids, um, that somebody finds something beautiful in them. Someone sees something special in them because the older child gets it and the younger child gets it, you know, but that middle child can get lost in the shuffle and stuff. So, you know, that's that's when we're talking about we're talking about children but, and we're talking about our homes. But you just brought out this point that now is it's, we're extending this to to ministry when we minister to people, then we're ministering to the wants and needs on the inside, not just doctrines, not just that. Right. How do we make this person feel care, genuinely cared for like Jesus made everybody who was around him? They all felt like they were important. That, that he Amen. Mm-hmm. Hey, let me let me bring out a point, uh, if I may. Uh, you know, I'm listening to you guys, and uh, of course, the spirit is always working. And with my experience, I, I come from a big family, too. I was the last of my family out of 11 kids. And, you know, uh, the one thing that it stands out, well, many things stands out, but the one thing that truly stands out, my mother and father uh, was Christian parents, but they always told us that everything starts at home. And what my father and my mother meant by that was that, you know, when you look at the government of your house, and you see the principles that is uh, trying to be invested in your kids for their character and stuff like that. And uh, when we look at what the Lord is trying to convey through uh, his prophetess, whereas it's all about relationships and, you know, the development of that relationship between parents and kids and kids in the community and, and so forth and so on, even all the way to God's kingdom, is that the brand has to be, you know, governed by the Bible. The Bible has to be, you know, the most thorough foundation of your way of life. We, we know that, you know, we can discuss things and we know it. Uh, for my kids, you know, right now, you know, I think the most important thing uh, for me and my wife to is to be a consistent, and I'm talking about really truly consistent, loving parents, uh, the way God is revealing it to us. Now we can't be one way one day and, and another day, but I teach my sons, you know, that life is a balance, uh, and it does start those teachings and exercises does start at home. 
Uh, I can remember what my dad did with me and my mom. And now as I got older, before I had uh, kids, before we had kids, one of my, I had my dad over to the house and my neighbor came over. He was outside and he said to my father, he said, uh, Mr. McCray, he said, you, he said, your son is a really fine, fine young man. He's very helpful. He is very nice. And he gave, you know, all these little nice things to say. And, and my father, you know, he didn't stick out his chest or anything like that. He told my neighbor this. He said, well, thank you for allowing me to understand that I did a good job. He said, because I try to train my kids for the world. And if they are reflecting the training that we gave them, then that makes me feel good. And, and I can remember him saying those words, and, and that's what I try to do with my two boys now, that, you know, uh, the small talks that I give them one-on-one, uh, the consistent worship and, and devotion and prayer and all the things that we know that can help them develop into a, a servant of God. Uh, they, we give them little small stories of the Bible, and we give them good health nuggets, uh, I don't try to hold their their attention too long because you know how kids can be. So I just trust that the Holy Spirit will truly take everything that me and Sheree does with them and it stick with them. And I'll every morning, you know, before my kids go out the door, where at least Nigel, because I have to leave for Bryson to go to school. Uh, well, he don't go to school. I'm sorry. But every morning when Nigel go to school, I pray over him and I pray with him. And then I always tell him this, if you take Jesus today, you will prosper. You know, I let him know if you take Jesus with you, all the things that you learn, all the things that we do at home, if you take that with you when you leave the house outside the door, you shall prosper. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's good, Tori. That was very good. Um, okay, let's um, finish up with this last paragraph. Uh, in the last paragraph, uh, final paragraph, in the middle of the paragraph, she says that, um, well, let me just start at the beginning. She's talking about the angels of God and the interest that they have in the children and what characters they develop. And she says she saw that Jesus knows our infirmities and has himself shared our experience in all things, but in sin. And he has prepared for us a path suited to our strength and capacity. And like Jacob has marched softly and in evenness with the children as they were able to endure that he might entertain us by the comfort of his sympathy and be to us a perpetual guide he does not despise, neglect, or leave behind the children of the flock. He has not bidden us move forward and leave them. He has not traveled so hastily as to leave us with our children behind. Oh, no. But he has evened the path to life, even for children. So I think that she's saying there, you know what? Make sure your children are with you as you move forward in the life and move forward hopefully 
progress towards the kingdom. Bring your children with you. And the story of Jacob was that he sent his, he sent his wives and children ahead of him, actually, when he was uh, having a deal with his brother. And um, so basically, don't leave your children behind. Don't leave them out. Don't leave them basically to raise themselves, but be the kind of loving parents that, you know, we should be to them. And in some, in, in, in the case of most of us, well, I'll say, uh, Alvina doesn't, her children are not at home, they're in school, but Tori, yours are the ones that are at home. But, um, you know, as, as grandparents, we can still encourage, you know, our grandchildren and also encourage our, our children as they parent their children. Can I make so I, go ahead, Tori. Yeah, let me make a, an, another point. Uh, okay. When, you know, in my in my studies and as I read and uh, ask the Lord for revelation, the one thing I, I, I've noticed that God had uh, a real uh, concern with the human race uh, about when it comes to the children and even the, the the next following generations, you know, remember Israel, God warned them. He told them, you know, he said, hey, look here, remember me as God and tell, teach your children what I have done and brought you out of the land of Egypt and let them teach their children and their children. And, and what happens is that no, of course, we know this, that down in uh, the generations, uh, a falling away comes and people don't uh, teach their children what the Lord has done or even who the Lord is. And we have to be very careful because we know who God is. Uh, but are we really, even though we may take them to church, uh, but in this pandemic, now, what do you do? So uh, I sit my family down, you know, and, and I just do exactly what the Lord have asked me, which is to remind my family that the greatest accomplishment that you can ever achieve in this world is that you love like Christ love and they can understand that you belong to God. So that means that the principles that you're being taught at home, you know, you don't leave them because the enemy is seeking to devour you, the enemy. And we, we teach them prophecy and uh, they know that Satan will come as an imposter of trying to be Christ on earth. And the things that he would do to mesmerize people and to excite people, emotions, and to even deceive them. So what I've learned, you know, out of all of my studies and what I can pass down to my kids is this. If you do not live by principles, then you'll fall for anything and live any kind of way. And then I ask my boys, what do you see about your earthly father, which is myself? What do you see about mom? And how do we live our life? Is there, and I question them, is there things about us that you see that we should change or just, and in, in it, it, it bothers you or it hinders your, your walk with Jesus Christ? And I really 
am uh, uh, concerned about how we as Christian parents uh, relate to our children and all the things we study and said today, you know, in these, these lessons and how we should be uh, growing. I've learned just like you guys learned these things, that once we become a parent, your life now is should be a sacrificial life for your kids to be able to uh, hold fast, stay strong, fight a good fight, finish their course and be ready when Jesus comes. Amen. Amen, Tori. Uh, we have a question from Omil. He's watching on YouTube. And um, his question is, and I'm going to just throw it out to the class. His question is, what about the parents that show favoritism to their kids? How does that affect their childhood? Well, when we look at uh, the story that we even just talked about uh, of Jacob and his kids, uh, we, we know how he felt about Joseph. Uh, and if you see the relationship between Joseph and his brother, uh, it was really um, it was really tough. And then you see the evidence uh, because it, it created jealousy. It created all kinds of things in the family that God never uh, sought it to be that way. So, Emil, I would say to your question uh, is this: It's one is one thing to give more attention to one child because it's needed. But it's also a balance, whereas love is the key ingredient and all kids need that. Uh, you have to explain to other your other uh, kids that uh, mom or dad have to bring attention to this situation or this category for this child. Doesn't mean that you're being left because, you know, you have your own as well, and everybody have their own uh, relationships uh, dealing with uh, favoritism. So this is what I would say in a nutshell. Don't have no favoritism. You learn to balance your uh, life with your kids, be instructed by the, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and just love. And then as you see fit as things come about, you know, the Lord would show you how to maneuver, how to adjust, and how to appreciate, you know, all members of your family in love. So my question, I have a question for your question. My question is, um, are you saying, what do you do as a parent and you yourself were, um, a victim of a parent who was uh, showed favoritism. So your parents showed favoritism to another another child. Is that what you're asking us, or is or are you saying that as a parent you're having a difficult time being neutral and being fair, and, and that you do uh, feel a little bit closer to some of the other children? I mean, uh, one or the other child. And I think Tori hit it right on the on the head. And I like the way he kind of um, kind of put it all together because just because a child has special needs, you cannot overlook the, the child behind him because that child is either going to learn to rebel, one or two, acquiesce, and then grow up and feel like he's less than or less uh, 
or, or something along those lines. That's, that's the first thing. If you yourself was a child um, of a parent who showed favoritism, then you also know that that has affected your self-esteem and it's affected the way you feel about you, you know, and stuff. And, and therein comes healing, comes from God. And so we read and we recognize that God has no favorites and he doesn't have anyone that's more important than you. And so you have to start reminding yourself that you are the apple of God's eye. You have to, you have to start saying those things to yourself that you needed to hear as a child, that you're important, you're special, you're valuable to God, you know, and that you have something to offer in this world and that what you have to offer is important because God gave it to you to offer it. So it, it's a long walk and it's a hard walk, but it is a walk that you can, you can definitely make, you can make and you can complete. And when you are finished, when, when your course is run and you have, you have overcome, you reach back and you say to others what you have had to say to yourself because there's someone else out there who is suffering so much from that. And that is a hard thing to swallow because the children feel they're kids and they're thinking, my mom doesn't love me. It's something wrong with me. Something, uh, nobody cares about me. And they can grow up with those feelings and they can go, if you don't address that thing and talk to yourself and reevaluate what you're thinking about yourself, you will live your whole life, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old with all of that baggage on your back. It doesn't go away. It just gets heavier. Hey, let me make one more last about, give me about 30 seconds. Um, when we had Bryce at our second child, O'Meal, Cherie asked this question. It was, she was like, wow, can I love another kid as much as I love this first one? And she struggled, you know, with that, with, with that thought, you know, after Bryson had came into the world. And I asked her, I say, well, do you want God to love me more than he loved you? And how does God balance his life with all his children on planet Earth? So it made her start thinking about things. And, then, and, and, and when we got home with Bryson, you know, we praised the Lord because he gave her the revelation that love is the key ingredient that should be imparted to everybody. And the way you do it, you know, in, in, in certain instances, it will show your kids, whether it's two kids or whether it's 15, that it will show your kids that mom and dad would take out the necessary time for me when a time is right to deal with any uh, uh, anxiety or any category in life. And just like God does for all of us, so we have to understand that favoritism is of Satan because he knows that is a powerful tool that he can use for separation and for he can play on kids' emotions growing up so they won't develop into a loving, uh, inspirational kid that God designed them to be. And in my case, I think my mom and dad I, and I guess, uh, you know, when growing up, we always had dinner together. My mom and dad would make sure that every kid at that table, there was something positive that my mom or my dad 
would say about them, like they would say something like, you know, I heard that you did really good in your writing assignment. You got good writing abilities. But they would go around that table, mom and dad, not just one talking, and tell us something positive they seen in us and tell us to keep up the good work. And I said, and I, I value that because a lot of families now, they don't eat at home until maybe this pandemic hit. And I said, but that was always the time that everybody was built up at that dinner table. Amen. That's a real blessing. And it's uh, very important that we stay positive with our kids, even though we might have to discipline, discipline them at times. Just show that love, as Tori said, learn to love as Christ loved, the way he loves us without partiality and without favoritism. Uh, one thing that Sister White writes in uh, right there at the top of the last paragraph says, if Christ dealt with us as we often deal with one another and with our children, we would stumble and fall through utter discouragement. So we're missing the, the point a lot as parents here on this earth. We're missing the point. We're being misled by Satan's tricks. We're doing things that society or the world tells us to do when the way that we should do it is as Christ loves us, love each other and love our children that same way. And by doing that, we will be encouraging one another and not discouraging, which seems to be the way that the world looks at things. One Absolutely. Last, and last, um, that's one, one last point. I know you want to wrap it up, Karen. I just need to say this because the Holy Spirit is telling me to say this. We have to understand parents that God is entrusting those kids to us to help develop for them to be citizens of heaven so what we have to do is to understand the sacrifice that christ made and we make those same sacrifices for our kids for one reason and one reason only and that's for them to be a citizen of an eternal kingdom amen amen, amen to that amen that's to that awesome. So I, I, I think that um, in response to Emil's question, you all have summed it up very well. And I would just say that love is a principle that grows. It is something that grows. And so love, you can love one individual and then you have another child and love that one equally because love grows. It doesn't, it, it's not just a fixed thing. And so that's why, that's why our heavenly father can love each one of us as we come into the world, because it is something that grows. I think that uh, uh, favoritism is something that is fixed. You know, this person comes and then, you know, you, 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 you love this person and you favor them and whatever. So again, as you were saying, Tori, that's from the devil. That, that's a fixed concept. But love is something that grows. And I think that if we keep that in mind and we allow the Lord to grow love in us as we encounter and have dealings with our spouses, with our children and with others, that we will become more and more like him. Because the scripture says God is love, not God has love, God is love. And so our goal is to Become love as he is love. Not Amen. to have love, but to become love. Amen. 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 Um, Paula, was that you I heard on the line? No, I don't. Wasn't Paula. Okay. All right. Uh, Alvina, you mind closing us out with prayer? 
Um, dear God, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for allowing us to learn something. Thank you for, and dear God, please bless our children, no matter how old they are, and um, help them to uh, continue to, well, I would say, bring them back as they're not with you, following you, dear God. And keep us and um, be with us throughout the week. Next week, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Uh, Lee, what are we studying next week? All right, next week we on chapter 20, The Inheritance of the Saints. Okay. okay. All right, chapter 20, The Inheritance of the Saints. Yeah, it's kind of long, so we'll probably break it up into two sections. Okay. And Sister Karen? Yes. I'll, ca I'll call you during the week because I don't have any more chapters from you. That was the last chapter. Okay, 72. sure. No problem. Okay, thank you. Okay. All right. So we're going to go off live. We will see uh, all of those who are watching next week. And uh, when we are studying with elderly Carol last day events.